to have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. It sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Jim Widgham. Uh, Jim Widgham is the founder of Kinetrek Boots. And a couple weeks back, uh, me and the Eastmans did a podcast tour. And so I sit down with Jim. Also, Guy and Ike Eastman sit in on the podcast. And, and for good reason, too, you know, Guy and Ike have been friends with Jim for 20 years. So they've got this great connection and chemistry on the podcast. And then Jim is just such an adventure. I think he's been on more sheep hunts than anybody I know. And, and he's a great storyteller and super humble. And so uh, we just get chatting on the podcast. It's just a great recording, uh, good hunting content in it. And then there's some great tips in there, too, about uh, boots and socks and, and lacing and, and foot care. Um, just some great tips coming into season. I mean, there's nothing that'll cripple you more on a hunt than than getting a blister. You just feel it every step. So um, great recording. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will too. Sponsor for today's show is Yeti Coolers. Um, Yeti's a great company and they just make great uh, products. Um, they make high-end coolers. I mean, you guys know Yeti, but they they also make coffee cups and they they make thermoses and and you know I put ice water for a full day of construction and 90 degree heat in my thermos and I still have ice at the end of the day and and, and same thing with their coffee cups. I have a hot cup of coffee in the morning and I mean I can sip my coffee at four o'clock in the afternoon when I get off work and it's still hot. Uh, just amazing products and their coolers have changed the way I hunt. Um, they're coolers. They just keep ice longer to where I can keep out on extended trips and, and have ice in my cooler for when I harvest game. I can put it in there and, and cool it down and, and keep my meat cool because I do hunt so many early seasons. Um, I also love that it's a bear-proof container. So when I'm camping on national forest or um, state lands that have requirements on a bear-proof container. I don't have to worry about hanging up my food every night. It's got a place for a lock on the cooler, and then it's grizzly bear-proof. That way you don't get written a ticket, or worse yet, have a grizzly bear get into your food in camp, um, which would be a nightmare. But uh, Yeti, they're just a great company and can't thank them enough for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, um, boy, we're getting close to season here. I am getting excited. I am fired up. Uh, running like a madman. Um Shooting like crazy, taking my shooting to the next level. Like, I am ready to cut these legs loose for season. So, I know we're still in July, but I really get kicked off here in August. So, um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Um, keeping in touch with, with Eastman's, and we're trying to figure out um, if we're going to film a couple hunts or not. And, and uh, so, trying to get approval and permits for those and just work out these details. And um, before you know it, I'm going to be in the woods. I started off with. Uh, uh, caribou hunt in Alaska. I cannot wait to go back and do this. And um, so, yeah, I'm getting fired up. I know you guys are too. So, just want to get some good recordings out to you guys here before season, and then record some good ones while I'm hunting. You know, when I get together with buddies. So, really looking forward to to putting together those recordings and um, just keep this thing rolling. So, uh, let's get this this podcast started. So, it's Jim Widgham, Guy and Ike Eastman. It's me. It's Eastman's Elevated. Here we go.
Okay, I'm live here at the Kennetrek office. I'm sitting down with uh, founder Jim Widgham, and uh, this is a real treat for me. So I'm sitting down. I got Guy Eastman, I got Ike Eastman, and Jim, and uh, we're going to sit down and record a podcast. Jim's the founder of Kennetrek, and he's also a very accomplished hunter. So thanks for being on, Jim. You bet. Happy to be here. Yep. Uh, we've already, I wish I could have hit record about 10 minutes ago. You've already told like three or four good stories. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe you can tell us just a little bit um, how you started Kinetrack and um, kind of the growth of the company and, and where you guys are planning to head in the future. Yeah, you bet. I mean, when we originally started, I, I'm kind of a big, tall, gangly, uncoordinated, you know, mountain hunter. Which those two, those two things don't really go together. <laughs> so I like always tell people, there's a reason that you don't see giraffes in the mountains. That's, <laughs> that's me. So I also was blessed with really really bad feet, and so kind of the hit, the heritage of the company is that I decided that at an early age that I love to hunt sheep, and I have really bad feet. Those don't go together either. And so I recognized very early on that there was. Uh, uh, I guess what I'd call a void in the marketplace for really good quality hunting boots. And, you know, I, I mean, there's, there's some American made boots and, you know, lots of boots from Cabela's and I worked at a company called Schnee's for many, many years. And there was good boots, but nothing that quite did the job for me, you know, because I have a narrow bony foot and a lot of foot movement, especially if you get into uneven terrain, just blisters like you wouldn't believe and a lot of pain and, if you guys have ever been on a hardcore mountain hunt, you know that that's a prescription for disaster. You know, just well, you take your wheels out and you're done. Yeah, exactly. You're spending time in the tent and just thinking, what did I sign up for? Every I think every sheep hunt I've ever been on, I at some point you stop and you say, I can't believe I'm paying money for this torture. <laughs> <laughs> but, You've been on a couple of those tortures this oh, year. It seems like every time. I mean, I. I I so wish that I was the first, you hear about hunts where a guy kills a ram, you know, first day. I'm like, I can't even imagine what that's like. I, I, I'm like the last day. I was just telling you the story. The of the seven day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> day after the last day. I mean, I'm, I'm usually deep, deep. Uh, I'm lucky drawing tags, not so much lucky on the hunt itself. <laughs> so how did you come up with the designs? I, I assume, because one, they, they haven't evolved a ton. I mean, you've gone into different lines and diff, di mm -hmm. made boots for different things, but some of your mountain hunters, I mean, it, it, it's like... Well, they look the same. I mean, it's like we, we, we've we continually, like, I, I'm, I'm an absolute perfectionist, and so all of the designs, like, internally within those boots, like some of the factories we work with in Italy, primarily, uh, they come back and they say, can we just have one year where we don't change anything? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I mean, because if I can figure out something to do to improve the boot, we're going to do that. And that drives them crazy because, you know, because it's retooling and new training right. and, you know, different materials. And, uh, you know, it definitely keeps throwing them curveballs. But, like, the way I look at it, that we have a uh, uh, a repair center, which is one of the keys to our success. You know, we, we have thousands and thousands of boots that come in every year f to be rebuilt. Uh, and if you think about that, what what better guinea pigs can we have? You know, I mean, thousands. And we, we'll, we'll actually go back there and take a look at that, and you can see some of the racks of boots. I mean, every single day, like a couple of full racks of boots come in for resoles. Wow. So it's almost like that's where all of the Kenetrek boots go to die, right? <laughs> is, is like I get to see them, every, you know, on a daily basis. I can see where are they fail, failing. 
you know, where can we shore them up? Where can we improve them? Uh, so that, that's been a real key to our success is that closeness to the customer. Uh, and and uh, we continue to improve. I mean, we, you know, a lot of, like I say, the overall look of the boots has been kind of the same, but uh, there's many, many internal changes. And, you know, I mean, we, we've, we've kind of been a, a pretty small company, but it's almost like we act like we're much bigger than we are. <laughs> you know, like we, we've actually re redesigned our own last shape. You know, a company our size, who does that? Nobody does that. Right, right. I mean, to go over there and actually work with uh, the last manufacturers and, and say, okay, well, you know, we want to change the heel cup in the boots. I mean, there's there's nobody else that does that. You Typically, they just go to whatever the factory is and they use their own last, you know. And so, so our boot, even though they look the same with a lot of the boots that are out there, I mean, they're very, very different from the ground up all the way through. And progressing, so you guys are resoling them now here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we actually it's it's we lease it out to a good friend of mine that I worked at Schnee's with for many many years, um, and uh, that's Jeff Carter. And and so I went to him and talked to him and said, hey, you know, I think you need to open a repair facility here in this building. And so they do. I don't know if they'll do ten thousand this year, but they're getting close wow. to that. It's an, a it's a staggering number. That's a lot of stinky boots. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. What a great way to evolve and improve your boots, though, is to be able oh, yeah. to look at all the boots that come in and see where they're breaking down, and also listening to your customers' feedback. I and mean, that's why Absolutely. you know you've been able to do so well with the Kinetrek brand. Yeah, no question. I mean, we have the hardest users on the planet. I mean, some of the. You know, I mean, really, you think about a, a stone sheep guide, you know, that's not, not just going on several hunts a year. I mean, they're out there for how many months scouting? I mean, they, they, they literally wear them out. And same thing, in, you know, on the other end, you know, the, the desert sheep guides, I can remember what we had a, a one of the guides from Tiburon that would send me pictures of his boots because I'm like, you can't wear a pair of boots out in a year. He's like, oh, yeah, I do, I do. And he sent me pictures after each hunt. And it was like somebody took a belt sander and just went right down through. The last couple hunts, his socks, I mean, of course, white tube socks, you know, like Walmart-type <laughs> tube <course>. socks, <laughs> they're sticking out the end. And I'm like, that's impossible. How could you do that? And then you go but down there. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like that's that's the brutal environment that they're in. And huh. so, you know, even though I'm not that hardcore of a user, you know, I get to you know, go and pretend to be tough, you know, for my one week or actually I think four days and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, I get to go and pretend, but those guys are the real deal. You know, the guides that actually wear out a pair of boots a year, that's that's a pretty impressive feat. Well, and it's got to be a difficult challenge too because you're trying to build boots for all these different habitats and all these different conditions right. in that dry desert habitat down there. You know, I, I think it's uh, what's well, uh, probably a lot rougher than even Arizona, but that that rocky, dry country. Um, you know, it's hard on leather, and then, mm. like you say, the you know those rocks and the, and the the sharp edges to it, they'll wear out boots in a hurry. Yeah, it's just amazing. I I, I remember I went on a Barbary sheep hunt. Have you done that guy at oh. any point? And we were down in uh, some rocks there, and I don't know what, uh, you know, what the actual geology of the rocks are, but they are so sharp. They look like just a normal granite, you know, or limestone boulder, and you put your hand on it, it'll literally cut your skin. They're that wow. sharp. Just like razor. It, it It's quite amazing. I mean, you almost have to hunt with gloves. Just 
to be able to touch the stones. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I just got back from Hawaii. In fact, I'm still healing up from the lava rock. I've got scratches <laughs> yeah. on me. But that lava rock is is just brutal on, on yeah. you and on your boots and your gear and your equipment. Yeah, no um, question. So, yeah, that uh, different conditions, different habitats, and to try to build a boot that will do well in all those environments right. is has got to be a challenge. It is a challenge. And, like, even with our outsoles, like I say, we've done a lot of things that a company our size really is is abnormal and one is to design our own outsoles i mean most companies would go to you know the uh vibram or you know the the regular outsole manufacturers that really know their business right and we're like this small upstart company that says no i can do better i guess that's that's kind of my attitude <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like what are you thinking you know and i'm sure the outsole guys say the same thing but that's part of the challenge right mm -hmm. is I want to design a, an outsole tread that will perform in a wide variety of terrains like that, but primarily off-trail. You know, like, I mean, most of what we're gearing our, our designs towards is the mountain hunter, the western mountain hunter, the sheep hunter. Right. And then it gets even, you know, so that's the tread design itself, but then it also uh, comes into what is the perfect uh, hardness of that rubber, mm -hmm. the different features and... And yeah, uh, we've, if it's too hard, it's slick yeah, on rocks. If it's yeah. too soft, it wears out really Exactly, fast. exactly. And, and so take. finding that, that sweet spot of, of what's the perfect uh, durometer of durability, you know, for that rubber that gives you the ultimate traction and then also reasonable durability. Mm -hmm. And then we have to gear it towards, okay, is it guides or hunters? Because those are two vastly different things. Right. Like I say, the h typical hunter is lucky to get one week, you know, on his hunt. There's some training involved, of course, but uh, most guides are just brutal. I mean, they pretty much expect to replace their boots once a year. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I like what you said, designed for off-trail. Mm -hmm. You make any boot that'll hold up on a hard, hard track trail, you know, but yeah. to, like, to get it to hold up. Um, in that steep country, like where you hunt sheep, where I hunt high country mule deer in these mm -hmm. different states, uh, that country is brutal on gear. And, and, and you could come out of that hunt if you choose the wrong boots with your socks showing out the front. You know, <laughs> yeah, they, for sure. Yeah, they put a wear and tear on it. But, well, uh, you'd mentioned, you just told this, this story about killing. How do you kill a sheep on the eighth day of a seven-day hunt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that, not, was that your was that your your final ram for yeah that was my rifle grand slam ram oh wow yeah which was a, a big deal but yeah I, i've i've been so incredibly fortunate over the years i i think uh as far as drawing permits and winning hunts and different things like that i think i counted up the other day and it was 16 what i'd call once in a lifetime draws or or hunts well that's the deal you're, you're being modest jim you, you yeah. drew two desert sheep tags <laughs> in the same year did you not yeah. arizona nevada <laughs> that's correct yeah oh my God. well you're using up all your luck in the drawings yeah. it's the deal <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you're definitely getting your money's worth on the adventure yeah. though i feel like yeah. I'll, I, i'm really due to be hit by a bus tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I was at a dinner uh, with your dad actually, and and Mike Wick, our sales rep uh, guy, we yeah. went to a to a dinner, and and Mike was, he can be kind of grumpy sometimes, right? Oh and, yeah. And he Which said, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he says to me like he didn't understand that I had drawn uh, like he knew my all, you know a lot of my tags that I drew, and I told him that oh yeah I drew an a Arizona antelope permit. He starts, <laughs> what the. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he's like, I, he's like, I didn't even know about that when I go. Oh yeah, I drew that with like I don't know five points or something. He's like, I've been applying for thirty five years. I yeah. still have never drawn one. He was better about that than any of the sheep hunts. Yeah, he's still got twenty four, twenty six <laughs> points for Arizona or some crazy thing. And nothing. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty funny though. Oh gosh. So I've had yeah way a way disproportionate amount of luck. I I need to. Actually, my wife says, you're not applying for anything, are you? (laughs) When I won the Marco Polo hunt at the Wild Sheep Foundation, somebody drew my name. It literally, there was booze. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, Jeff. It just got me off guard. So that's not good. (laughs) Yeah, but it... Well, it is all about the adventure, and boy, you've been on some amazing adventures. Yeah, that's crazy to be able to go on the the desert sheep hunts, and then to be able to get your grand slam, the stone sheep, and and doll yeah. sheep. You have so many beautiful mounts uh, out front there in the in the showroom. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how petite those those desert rams are. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Except for the horns. I mean, it was like Heavy. that's. I remember when I killed that ram. I walked up on. I was by myself on that one actually, and. Walked up on that ram at dark, of course, two days after the end of the hunt. (laughs) Typical scenario for me. But uh, anyway, walked up on that ram, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I mean, just incredible. Because you end up killing one with a gun and one with a bow, right? I did, yeah. Uh, Again, you know, because I drew the two, and so, well, if you've got two, I thought, get one with a gun and one with a bow, and I I succeeded making it a marathon on both of them. But I ended up up killing, so I hunted Nevada for a whole hunt, and then I went over and hunted uh, Arizona for a whole hunt, and then failed at both of them. And so I went back to Nevada yeah, because I thought, well, this is the best time to do it, and I pretty much had it dialed in by then. It, there was a pretty steep learning curve there, especially doing it on your own. And uh, so was able to kill. I actually had to heal up my tender feet for a day, <laughs> so so I kind of just bombed around and scouted and looked at rams and you know kind of uh, acquired targets, so to speak. And then the next day I went and and it was actually a second ram I went after, and was able to get him with a bow. And I of course, he. he can't even imagine that elated oh feeling i mean i was so you shot your first ram with a bow yes well not my, fir- my well, first my first desert, desert ram yeah. yeah first desert ram wow yeah i'm you know i'm in the middle of nowhere 200 miles probably from the next person and i'm jumping up and down just screaming you know my <laughs> screams are just echoing off the canyons I mean, if somebody saw me they thought sure i was crazy but and then so i took the, i took the sheep down to uh, pat cummins who was the uh the head biologist in las vegas and and checked the sheep in and he was out of tags and whatever and i said well i gotta run over to arizona because you know i'm on a hot streak so i'm gonna run over there and get my desert there he's like what (laughs) (laughs) he said no one ever (laughs) he starts really doing the background check is this a legit tag did you make a copy of one and then I went, ended up going over there and so it was two days later and and like i say we had hunted there and come really close several times so i knew the area and and was able to go in. I had a bunch of people coming to help me the next day and went in there and bombed around by myself, ended up getting heat stroke and and uh, was, you know, kind of just looking for shade out there. It's hard to believe you can get heat stroke in December, but it was it was hot and it's lava flows that I was out on. And I was coming back through there and was able to find a band of rams and killed my ram. And, 
and uh, came back and you can imagine when I went to check that one in at Arizona and I told him yeah I got to run back over and get my other round that I killed a couple days ago <laughs> those guys were like what <laughs> wait a minute Jeez. I bet they were on the phone with each other real oh, quick yeah, as soon yeah. as you left He's like, I don't Is this think. A legit story? He says, I don't think that's ever happened in modern history legally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> probably some renegade that did it. But uh, anyway, yeah, pretty amazing. Well, that's did that start the whole next Grand Slam of of archery? Or? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like always kind of hat. Well, I shouldn't even say that. I I never even had a single Grand Slam ever in my mind, but you know these things happen and then all of a sudden you start thinking well maybe maybe and so then the whole bow thing you know and all of a sudden now i find myself at three with it if i'd have stopped at two i could quit but three you can't you only just got one more right <laughs> one more <laughs> <laughs> is it the stone you're missing now with the bow it's, it's the doll oh the doll yeah doll sheep with a bow and so i actually go uh this uh, this July, I head to uh, Ghana River in Northwest Territories for an attempt. Anyway, next month. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. That's awesome. So, that is cool. That's so much fun. So it'll be a try. Anyway, I gotta not, like not get my hopes up too much, but I can't think of a better, you know, a better attempt. Wow. It'll be that awesome. is wild, Jim. Yeah. Uh, to kill those with a bow is such an accomplishment. I. I love hunting with a bow, and I love the challenge of it. But, yeah, I can just, like, when you talk about that desert sheep and being so elated, Mm -hmm. like us backcountry hunters, and and especially you for these sheep hunts, when you get one of those coveted tags, I bet you train like a madman, and you're researching, putting everything into it, and then you ran out of time on the hunts and returned back. And then to have it all come together and and to get within a stone's throw of one of those things and a ram you actually want to harvest is amazing. And then to keep your cool... And oh, not I, let no, the I, adrenaline get a hold of you. No, I've never been able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Um, one more lap, uh, July hunt. So you're training hard now, huh? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> you would you would think I'd be doing better, but I'm like, well, I, I'm I'm going with a buddy who's taking pictures and stuff, and he's so I, f- I figure I got two things going for me. One, it's a horseback hunt, which I don't love horses. I mean, uh, but it's a little bit better than a, a straight out backpack hunt. And the other thing is my partner's got a broken foot. So I figure I got two aces. <laughs> <in the hole. laughs> well, well and you just got off, you just got off another hunt, right? Yeah. 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 My Arctic adventure. <laughs> <laughs> you got to so, tell us about that. Oh yeah. So yeah, I went after polar bear, you know, cause I don't know why actually, but, uh, <laughs> I know why. It, it's it, on my list, too. Is it really? Oh, yeah. That's on my bucket list. Well, it's my, my partner, Charlie, in Tajikistan, right? So yeah. I, <laughs> I was in Tajikistan for the Marco Polo, and he's the one. I blame him, and he blames me. I, I've never met his wife. He says, I said, I'm blaming you totally for this hunt. He goes, my wife hates you. <laughs> 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 Typical hunters, right? You're, you're blaming the other guy. But uh, anyway, he put it in my head. He said, you know, there, there might be a possibility that they'll review that you know that ban and now would be the good time to go and whatever and so i talked to my good friend dustin rowe and he kind of put he had just done it and i said i'll put some feelers out and that's a, always a mistake yeah. right because just, just get the checkbook out at that <laughs> point yeah, yeah i mean you just start back. you start heading down a road that's like oh shoot why did i ever start this adventure but anyway that was uh i'm glad i saw it uh, I don't think I'd ever want to live there. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very stark and very cold. It was brutally cold. You I mean, did that the, with a bow too, right? Yeah, I did. 
Oh I did. boy. Which is lucky your bow doesn't explode. I mean, it's so dang cold and you got so much, so many clothes. It's just, oh. Yeah, that was, uh, ooh. I think I have some metal blocks on that one, actually. <laughs> so, so they put you in a, they put you in a little, it's a, well, it's not a little, it's a big sled. Big dog sled. Dog kennel and skis. Yeah. yeah. With, that's enclosed. Yeah. Not heated, but Well, it looks, it looks almost like if you looked at like a little barge, you know, that pushes ships, that's kind of what it looks like. It's a Comtex box. Okay. And you sit in there on a little bench seat. But there's no suspension in it whatsoever, and you just get beat to death. <laughs> what are they, they strap top? it to a snowmobile, and off they go? Off they go. Big sleds, you know. I mean, they're running 1,200cc sleds, and boom, and they and they just go. I mean, they strap that baby on. It's like, hang up for dear life. You, <laughs> and you have no communication with him. I mean, you can see the guy, but he, he, he occasionally will look back, like maybe – you know, at lunchtime or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you didn't lose you somewhere. Do the yeah. inmates mates need fed? I don't know. We'll stop yeah. it at an hour. It's tough, really tough. Dislocated it, your jaw? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a couple of times. So you have to clench your, you know, I'm thinking the John Wayne thing. You put a leather strap in there and, you know, bite down. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, quite something, quite an experience. But it so was funny. The first night we get there, my partner Charlie comes out, and he's like, oh, my God gosh i can't do this he goes i can't go one more mile and the guy comes around and he says he says ah they you know talk and they talk in you know their native language and he they you know i can see him arguing back and forth and he comes back over he and charlie just said i can't go another mile and he comes back over and he says get in the box charlie we're moving on because <laughs> 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 they decided to camp somewhere else but uh oh, yeah geez. it's brutal so you guys didn't hunt together yeah i mean the whole time we were together yeah it was a two-on-one type oh, deal okay so yeah we saw it was it was pretty amazing just to see that environment and and the so many polar bears i mean you know like every single pressure ridge anywhere that you had a break in the ice or an iceberg there was bear tracks on it every single one wow and those bears basically like i i think of them as almost like vampires because they hunt at night and they that's all they do is kill right right and like his bear actually came into camp he we had missed a couple and had some bad weather days and we were actually headed back and they had told him you know i don't know that you're you know, your odds are going down that you're going to get one. And, and they actually spotted a bear out there, and, and they actually lured that bear into the camp. So they would go out to snow machines, let him see them at five, 600 yards. And he, you know, I mean, pretty much those bears have never seen a person. And so anything they see, they, they basically come to eat. Right. And so they brought him right back into camp. And, you oh know, of course, gosh. then by the time he sees the tents, he's like, oh, there's definitely something to eat there. Yeah. <laughs> there he comes. <laughs> That's a big meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and he shot a giant to over 10 feet. Oh, just, my gosh. Just wow. absolutely huge. Jeez. Missing teeth and stuff. I mean, they're they're an absolutely amazing animal. All cut up. And, I mean, they, they just, just, oh, just a really violent How old is a bear like that? Because they, they last. He's, they live Yeah, really I think long. they'll live 20 years, you know, yeah. as – um, I don't. I think, don't think most of them do, just because of li- their life is so rough. You know, I mean, and they're notorious those uh, old males for killing the cubs, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just a brutal life that they live. And the sows have to be pretty ferocious, you know, to keep those other bears off of them. But right. But pretty amazing. We saw lots. Of, I think we ended up seeing about 15 bears all total, and we could have seen many more. But they can actually tell by the tracks. You know, obviously, if it's a sow and a cub or 
I mean, they they could even. I mean, those guys have they've been doing it for you know eons. <laughs> yeah. And so they can actually tell like it's like oh that bear's not healthy, you know, because they can look at the pad in the snow, and tell how much fat is around the heel bone, and so they really? would go no that that's a that's a skinny you know eight footer, that bear's Jeez. not doing well. They could actually diagnose that by the track. It's pretty amazing, you know. Jeez. I'm like, what do you mean skinny? He's like, see it, see how it's bone is like that. He, he's like, he looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> Eat some more soup, blubber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How were the accommodations up there? Accommodations? <laughs> uh, yeah. I say that loosely. <laughs> yeah, we stayed in a, like a t- little ten foot, like a tiny, t- the smallest wall tent you've ever seen. You know, so like maybe ten by eight. And, uh, you know, you're sleeping on six feet of ice. And so they lay down, uh, you know, they scrape out the snow, lay down cardboard boxes. Then it's a bunch of caribou hides. Then it's kind of some foamies. And then you lay your, you know, your pads on there. But everything, you know. And then, then the way they, they uh, heat is, is just kind of funny because they actually will heat that tent. And it's kind of an insulated tent, which just means it's quilted. <laughs> but uh, they, they heat with an open burner Coleman stove. Right and like, like our tar- turn the burner on. Turn the burner on, yeah. And, oh my you know, gosh! And we're in this small enclosed space. But the first right? night you're going, hopefully we wake up. Yeah. Well, and then our stove kept going out, right? So then you're just getting fuel, right? So you go from carbon monoxide to just straight, you know, jet fuel, whatever. And <laughs> and uh, my partner looks at me one time. He says, "Do you taste that?" And I go, well, "Yeah. What is that? Ether?" He goes, "No, I think it's brain cells." <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so how cold did it get at night uh it, it was below? Nah, it was 40 below you know yeah. air temp but we had a couple days where it was 45 miles an hour of wind oh my gosh oh don't even want to compute that and it's 85 below i mean it's yeah I, I frostbit you know three of my toes on my right foot and and then I'm in the airport, and I'm coming back, and I like it's my nose my it whole nose off. comes off in my hand <laughs> <laughs> i'm like that's kind of cool but creepy at the same time you can just see the whole wonder impression what, wonder, wonder what customs is going to say about yeah. me walking back through <laughs> yeah yeah for, and you know you're covered up the whole time but boy it doesn't take very long and you really freeze i mean any of that exposure to that wind it's just brutal absolutely brutal i mean it was cold and we had you know obviously our heaviest insulated boots and socks and you know long underwear and i mean everything and, and even the you know the activated charcoal I, I use those all the time. Yeah. But then a lot of times you're not moving either, you know, right. so you're just sitting there, you know, getting beat up. <laughs> 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 you know, so you don't generate a lot of heat that way. But, yeah, it was a cold, cold experience. And the funny thing is that the, the native guys, they're, they're sweating. Like the sun would come out and they're sweating. They're sweating. You're kidding. I'm like, it's 25 below zero. And they got sweat running down their face. I mean, they're just completely adapted to it. It's an amazing experience. What were they wearing? Uh, they wore a lot of traditional garb, you know, like seal skin suits and kind of what you would see, you know, with the, the traditional fur around mm-hmm. the face. And uh, They're tough. I'll tell you that. They are tough, tough. <laughs> but I, w- I was thinking, you know, we, we just shouldn't be out here. You know, anything happens... <laughs> You die, right? Yeah. You run out of fuel, you die. Every scenario you, you run sled, through, you, you die. I mean, you're not walking <laughs> out. You're not building a fire. There's, you know, there's nothing out there. It's just vast nothingness. Gosh. You went 750 miles in that box, right? 750 miles, yeah. It was like, oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was quite something. How close did you get to your bear? 
Um, he, I think when I killed him, he was 45. I think I made it up to about 30 yards to him, you know. Well, and that, so that he was, was a hair-raising experience. Yeah, he was, I don't know, yeah, I kind of had that switch go off that, you know, like I, I was being a little bit more aggressive and more more than my guide was comfortable with, you know. Like he's like, you shoot now, shoot now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he's like, he's 50 yards. I'm like, no, I'm going to go closer, you know. And he's like, no, <laughs> you know. Like, like, why? <laughs> why? We don't need closer. I don't know. It just didn't seem to me like it was that, you know, because the, the dogs kind of hassled the bear, and, and, you know, it just didn't, didn't seem like I was ever, I guess I was stupid enough or ignorant enough to not be, you know, that spooked by it. But, but yeah, the guides have a lot of respect for them big time. But hmm. anyway, just an experience. Checked, <laughs> checked out, out off the off box. The <laughs> box. <laughs> off the <laughs> list. Yeah, exactly. You've had some adventures. You and Guy ended up in Tajikistan at the same time. Yeah, unknowingly we did. until That's on the funny. way back. Yeah. I didn't even recognize him. I've known Jim for almost twenty years. I walked right up to him in the airport and introduced myself as Guy Eastman, <laughs> someone I've known for twenty years. I said, Jim, is that you? What'd you lose? Like thirty pounds? A lot. Yeah, yeah. I kind of had some bouts had with the local food. <laughs> <laughs> did we all right? The beard. Oh, your eyes were all so. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, Jim, do we yeah. need to get you to the hospital? Yeah, <laughs> it was rough. That was rough. And just that elevation and everything, it's, it's, uh, that's a humbling experience there, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were telling me about the, you were saying, talking about the road. Oh. So, how long did you guys travel on this? You both traveled on the same road. Same road, yeah. yeah. We had to be close to the same time, I imagine. Yeah. But yeah, that road, I think, because we spent, I think it was, I want to say 12 hours the first, and then we stayed in Korog overnight. And then it was about seven hours from there, right? I mean, so it was just brutal. Yeah, it was twelve for us from Horog, so twelve and it was. Yeah, you guys were further, further yep. north into the to the east. It would be right. Yep. Yeah. Over. Yeah, you fly halfway around the world, you get yeah. off the plane, and they're like, "Oh, now we got to drive for twenty four hours." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, and I don't mean drive on roads like here. No. It's like the worst dirt road you've ever seen for twenty four hours. Unbelievable. Yeah unbelievable <laughs> yeah that's an experience like i've had people you know tell me that and and they say whatever you can do you know make sure you take the flight back from korog don't take that road well we got there and it, it there and they always say well you know there's a chance that there's a plane there's a chance that there's a plane and then of course you get there and there's no plane no there's no plane and i looked at the runway and there was like a half inch of dust on it i'm like there's weeds growing up ah, <laughs> i don't think yeah, flight in korog in 10 yeah. years i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah Every, they, <laughs> everyone I've talked to that has done it, they always say, how about that road? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just amazing. And it's just so long. I mean, you know, like I've been on some hairy roads, of course, but not that long. And yeah. those guys go. I mean, they, they're, they're clipping on those roads like way faster than you, they probably should. And our weather was pretty nice. I can't imagine nice. what the weather should have been that time of year on yes. that road. Yes. I've heard them tell stories of ice and... Yeah, they said they had a hunter last year that, that uh, they had an avalanche on the road, closed the road. And so he spent a couple nights, like, in a local village there, the closest one, and and uh, he never did get to do his hunt. Because, <laughs> you know, they don't have equipment to clear the road or anything, so he, he couldn't get there. So, well. Oh, wow, how... Yeah, that would be horrible. Yeah, the yes. worst part about going. So, anyway, you know, I mean, Jim, some of these hunts. The worst part about them is if you didn't get anything and had to go back. Oh, there's one guy in our camp who yeah. didn't shoot a sheep. He That's passed up right. on some, That's and he right. has to go back. And I'm like. He was all excited to come back because he gets to come back for free or whatever. I was like, no, that's a curse. 
You actually want to come back? <laughs> he did want to come yeah. back? Because oh, he's just saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He might be just saying How that How much now, vodka but. was involved? Yeah. yeah. He never got sick, but mm. he, he was from Denmark, so he's a Dutch or a yeah. Dane. But he, uh, yeah, I, I would not want to go back there. That was that, that was, was a that time. was a tough tough hunt. Yeah. I know they were talking about you know some of the guys were talking about well what's your next sheep you know and I said you know I like I like something maybe even a domestic sheep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's Mary's little lamb. Well, those Texas doll sheep. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's tone it down just a little bit. I need to take a breather, and yeah. then of course you know off I go again. It's, yeah, just, on the doll sheep. It's so bad. It's that that bug. It's sometimes I wish I would have taken out bowling or something different than mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, boy. It's a, I think I've been on some tough grueling hunts. Those just even the polar bear and then the Tajikistan alone. That was just wild. Um, and, and these hunts, though, you know, you go on them, you plan for them, you train for them, and they're they're so tough and grueling. Um, and, and you. You, you almost, at the time of the hunt, you're really not having a lot of fun. You're just putting in a lot of effort. It comes together. That's fun. Um, but when you get back, you have this, your brain has this way of forgetting all the bad times that you had, <laughs> yeah. or it just doesn't seem that bad. You know, I'm headed back to Colorado, you know, this year back right. in this grueling spot that I go back to. But you kind of forget all the bad, and you just remember the good. And you're like, yeah, I, I'm ready to go back. <laughs> it you wasn't know? that bad. It, yeah, it wasn't that bad. I didn't die. <laughs> it's like right. my, my wife with a baby after she asked, I'm never doing that again. Okay, and then two, three years later, hey, maybe exactly. we should have another kid. I'm like, oh, you've forgotten all those things? Here, let me write them down for you. Here, let me show you the video. Yeah. <laughs> Your human mind just does that. Yeah. It's a sickness for sure. Well, if, if any anyone is in the Bozeman area and they're at, you know they need new boots or want to check out boots, they got to come here. Just if anything, just to see yeah. all those mounts. Yeah, I think you have the most sheep in that showroom of anywhere I've been in yeah. a very long time. It's a, it's impressive. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Me, you know, me and my partner, all those animals are my mine and my partner Bob's. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. And I I say, you know, you know what this makes me think of when I walk through here. I'm like. We're old. <laughs> We've been doing a this a lot of years stacked up in that. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. You could tell uh, there Blisters. is a lifetime of hunting there in is. that showroom, isn't there? Yeah. Two lifetimes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And still being added to. Yeah, and he's lucky too. I mean, he's he's like the second luckiest, you know, applicant. Like he won the Arizona. Uh, antelope raffle the super raffle super texas last year he did <laughs> he did don't tell mike okay two, <laughs> two, two tickets he bought two tickets he says he, his his philosophy is he always buys two tickets right because he figures if he screws one up then the second one is a backup oh my gosh so if you're ever at any of these <laughs> conservation dinners and bob and jim are here Either don't enter a raffle or figure out which ones they entered and go in the other ones. Go around, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, you guys are a hoot together. I, I've heard stories. Oh yeah. Arizona came and fish was a hunter <laughs> safety thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that is a classic. Because as you guys, do, if those don't know, if you go to Arizona and physically show up and do the Arizona hunting class, you get an extra bonus point. Yeah, for life, for every species. Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes it's worth it. You guys were down there for a show or something. And no, we were coos deer hunting, actually, and our friend Brad is out there, and he's like, I've got a great buck spotted, and I'm like, 
you know, and it was rainy, and they're they're like, you know, hey, I don't think we're gonna, you know, because you have to, you're in there with the twelve year olds, and so you got to shoot, you know, shoot twenty twos, you know, and 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 he, you know, the guy says, of course we, you know, we we had, you know, probably been drinking a little bit the night before, you know, and he says, there's nobody here that, you know, the guy thought it was funny. There's nobody here that's been drinking, you know, in the last twenty four hours, have they? And I kind of looking at a whole class of twelve year olds like you two. I kind of kick Bob under the table. He's like, oh. Oh, anyway, so Brad says me a text. He's like, I've got a great coozier, you know, spotted, you know, can, can you get up here quick? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to catch a break because it's a rain out, you know. And the guy comes out and says, I think there's a break. We're going to break out mats. I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, so we had to go out and shoot 22 <laughs> Instead of a nice coozier. Yeah, oh, well. Oh, so what's new at Kinetrek this year? What do you guys got coming out? Um, we've got some, some pretty exciting things, you know, like uh, as we've grown as a company, you know, we, we've branched off into a couple of different designs and, and different things like that. Like we do a lot of government business. We do a lot of law enforcement. Uh, we've got coming out for this next year, we've got a wildland fire boot, which oh, is we're good. very excited about. Um, and a lot of that is driven by our customers. You know, they come to us and say, hey, I want to wear my mountain boots, you know, and, and, you know, as a wildland firefighter. And I'm like, you know, no, those aren't certified. They're heat sensitive. You know, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't do that. And, and, uh, so they, you know, they've been kind of steering us in that direction for a long time. And, and so we're just in the final lab certification testing. And, and then we've got some military boots as well coming out. Nice. So, so yeah, we're definitely branching out and growing and, and the hunting, you know, side continues to grow as well. So, so it's yeah it's uh knock on wood you know i mean it seems like the economy is is really turning around for us and and we're doing really really well are you 20 years 21 years no we're not that uh i think we we started in uh actually we started five five of oh five was the actual day of the start of the company not on purpose that just was accidental easy to remember yeah (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah that's awesome 13 years 13 years yeah very cool. Yeah, and I was reading the start of the company where it it dawned on you in 2004 on that sheep hunt when your yeah. feet got blistered up. So that's what you were talking about. You just yeah, deal with absolutely. those blisters on your feet. And, yeah, there there is nothing worse than blistering oh, your yeah. feet. It's oh, just yeah. agony with every step. And you figure you're doing 20,000 steps a day. Right. Um, just crippled. I mean, just crippled. Like, yeah, and there's just no... Yeah, once you once you blister them up or once you hurt them like that, there's no healing them up. The only thing that's going to heal them up is a month, yeah, and you don't exactly. have a month, right? Yeah, not an option. Yeah, and so I, yeah, so I'm pretty good at you know being a medic, and a lot of times I'm the medic in the camp. You know, take care of other people's you know ills as well, and you know dress them as best you can, and and keep going because a lot of times you don't have an option. You know, it's like you can either quit or right. or you know take some more Advil and go. <laughs> oh man, well, and it seems to me too. Um, Blisters, when you start to feel that hot spot, oh, that's when it has to be addressed, right? right, right. When, to keep going and push through that little bit of irritation, yeah. you're just signing yourself up you to, you to get those blisters in those bad spots that then you, you can hardly heal or recover from. So, right. yeah, wouldn't you say the same thing? Is no, that you gotta You got to stop and address it. So, absolutely. like, if I feel a hot spot, I'll, I'll stop. I'll change my socks. Mm-hmm. You can bandage it up. Also, change your lacing on your boots right. so it isn't pulling on that. Uh, what other tips do you have? Well, the biggest thing, like I would say, is you, you need to keep your skin dry 
because it's almost like the same the same principle that applies to how people get electrocuted in the bathroom right like uh, the electrical resistance and your your blister resistance of your skin if it if it's wet it drops down to about a tenth of what it is normally Hmm. and so when that happens uh, you you know once you your skin gets wet it's much more susceptible to the friction you know the blistering and that's when it really occurs so so moisture is is just like the absolute enemy you okay. know against your feet so that's so where that's you why change your socks stop a bit. stop yeah. dry your socks out change your socks let you your know, feet like dry out dry too out. right because your feet kind of stay absolutely. wet absolutely yeah they'll okay. be way way stronger you know okay. if you do that and the other thing is like you know some people uh, are cursed with having really, really sweaty feet. Everybody's different, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as far as how much you perspire. And, you know, some guys, even if it's 50 degrees or something, they'll, they just perspire like crazy, you know. And so those guys really have to learn to manage that as best they can. And, and so a lot of times there, an antiperspirant is, you know, people don't think of that, that same antiperspirant you would use under your arms, you know. I mean, you can use on your feet to kind of manage that moisture just huh. to keep that well, load I haven't heard from, of that. Yeah, it's a oh, good yeah, tip. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And foot powders, there's, you know, like I say, everybody is different and you need to come up with your own special custom formula for, you know, for basically the abuse that you're going to put your feet through. Mm-hmm. And then um, conditioning your feet. Too. Oh, absolutely. That's, a, that's absolutely. a big part of me is the trail running is I just beat my feet up and I absolutely. get calluses everywhere. And so then those calluses, I don't get those rub spots right there, yeah. it seems. And the yeah. muscles, the muscles oh, yeah. in your feet. For you sure. Know, walking on flat ground is a lot different than side hilling for four days and for in sure the northwest territories for me sitting in an office chair yeah nothing right does desk. nothing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does nothing to condition my feet <laughs> and then um what are your favorite socks to wear like on um say a backcountry or a sheep hunt and does it differ from a cold weather to a warm weather hunt it, well it kind of does but usually in mountain hunting you're talking about uh, performance with the socks and so usually there what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the perfect fit to stabilize your foot and stop motion, right? The motion, moisture and motion, those are the two enemies, you know. The, the, the motion the, inside the boot inside you're Inside the boot, yep. yeah, exactly, because then that creates friction, that can create blisters, uh, and foot fatigue as well. And so, like, for me personally, because I have, a, like I say, a narrow bony foot, you know, <laughs> definitely not a good mountain hunter foot like you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I once had a bony foot. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone now. Huh? Yeah, I fixed that. <laughs> Look at your track and say he's yeah. healthy. He's <laughs> healthy, yeah. I think that was a fat joke. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, for me, what I, I wear is I like to still wear a liner sock because, again, you have the, the theory between two socks and one sock is that you have you know slippage between the layers of sock you know versus against your skin in the sock so so to me I wear our ultimate liner and then because I have a narrower a thinner foot I wear the Alaska over the top of that and so that's a really heavy uh, very well padded merino wool you know like we call it our super heavy weight most people can't wear that combination because it's it's too much um, but we have the same sock in the Canada, right? And so we have diff- that's what we've developed with our socks is we've developed uh, different thicknesses so it allows you to customize the fit, uh, you know, for your foot in your boots. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, just how we're, we're all different, but also how, like, the thickness of your sock, 
I always thought it tied to insulating value and uh, the temperature, yeah. but uh, I like your theory on it that it's actually for the fit of your it's boot. The fit of the boot. To, to fill that boot so you don't get that slippage. And so you wear the really the heaviest sock you guys make with the liner sock. That's for me, yep. you know, because I'm trying to stabilize. Now, you don't want to cut off, you know, blood circulation or make it so tight that, you know, so you want to be right there almost as snug as you can without without doing that. Um, a lot of, as far as temperature, a lot of people think that, well, I'll wear, you know, when it gets cold, I'll wear a heavier sock. Well, if you don't have room in the boots, you'll actually make the boot colder. Oh, isn't that the truth? Because you you crush the insulation in the boot and you reduce the circulation in your feet, you know. And so really the warmest boot is going to be one that you can wiggle your toes freely and you really have good blood flow to your feet. And so a lot of times that, that's counterintuitive. We mm -hmm. want to think, well, hey, if I, you know, sock up or put three socks on, I'll be warmer. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. How about lacing? How, 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 what's the proper way to lace it? I yeah. Know, I get that question a lot. I mean, lacing, normally, I, I would start kind of with the standard lacing. And then if you have anything like, like if you have high instep or something like that, or the lace doesn't hit you right, there's a lot of different things you can do lacing pressure-wise, you know, like where you can skip over or you can, uh, you can change uh, pressure like on the forefoot where you want it to be snug or up to, you know, the heel, across from the heel joint. Uh, and then lace the upper part completely loose. And you can do that by doing crossover laces, right? And so it's almost like you're doing a half hitch, you know, Over every time. Them. Yeah, so the, the lace folds on itself. And so mm -hmm. that allows you to change pressure. So there's a lot of different things you can do there. Yeah, so you take, um, like, uh, you adjust that boot, every section of that boot, by tying a half hitch Correct. in the lace. Yes. And then from there, then that the bottom section is tied down and how you like it for the fit. Right. And then you move to the midsection. Right. Then you half hitch that. Then you move exactly. to the ankle or the tie down. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, is we try to do a lot of that with the, the hardware as well. Like we have a lace locker That's at nice. the pivot point, you know, on the ankle. Mm -hmm. So and that kind of helps you to, to accomplish that as well. So then oftentimes you just have to, instead of, you know, going the normal way where you're an underneath to over the top, go over the top to underneath. And you get kind of a, almost like a, a little bit of a half hitch effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that combined with the, you know, lace locker hardware, that'll accomplish it. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it's I just finding the combination that works for you. It is. Like it I, is. I like wearing only one sock, but I have to have insoles. Yes. If I don't put your insoles in my boots. Yes. I'm a disaster. Right. I'm a disaster anyway. <laughs> my feet are a disaster. <laughs> yeah. How important are those insoles? They really are important. I mean, what we've, again, that's one of the changes that we've made early on, and, and we basically designed our own, kind of took uh, from all of my footwear experience with Superfeed or Soles or, you know, some of the Do Dr. Scholl's product, all the different products, and we kind of combined to, to really create uh, the very best insole that we could. We were kind of the first, you know, most companies would come out with like they, they just put a flat insole and they're expecting you to upgrade. And so like they put in a insole that costs a dollar or something that you're, you know, and their thought is, well, you're going to throw it away and get your own custom insoles. It's like, well, you know, instead we kind of went a different route and we decided to put in a $40 insole because the thinking is that most uh, people don't even think about it. They just put them on, lace them up and go. And so that, that really is one of the huge secrets to our boots is that, you know, we've got a, a footbed that's probably something that they've, n you know, most hunters have never experienced before. Right. Oh, I need to check those out. My feet are built so tough that I never really deal with issues <laughs> or problems. Yeah. I'm one of the lucky ones. You are lucky. But, but yeah, there no too, kidding. like I could, I could really 
you know, improve my endurance and my feet by having some oh. more padding and more arch support and, and just using a quality insole, it's going to make me hunt, you know, more effective and more efficient. And my feet are going to feel better in the yeah. end. So Absolutely. yeah, no, I need to look into those. You know, and a firm heel cup is, is really important too, because that improves your alignment, improves your balance, you know, and it reduces fatigue. Slippage, you know? on, I on bet yeah. too. Absolutely. And yeah. not just fatigue on your feet, but fatigue on your knees, on your Absolutely. hips, on your back. Because it's that balancing. It's right. kind of like the way trekking poles work with you you know just having that additional point of contact it's amazing how uh, much more endurance you have because you're not always fighting to you know keep balance right i mean you just don't realize what that fatigue does to you over a you know course of a day yeah absolutely no i i'm a big proponent of those trekking poles like you say and it, it's not just to help you go up or stabilize you down which it which it does do that but but you made a great point like you use so much a, of your leg muscles balance. for that balance mm -hmm. and, and that fatigues you and when you're talking 20 30 40 thousand steps a day you know yep. it takes its toll on you Huge so you know, those trekking poles um they're a game changer yeah that's the only thing that's kept me in the game <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know if i'm in the game still but <laughs> at least i think i am well you will be in a month <laughs> yeah, you're, still yeah. killing, you're still out there killing stuff so you're in the game uh, yeah <laughs> that's great well yeah it's just so impressive to see like i say uh, see those sheep and hear about some of the adventures you've been on and then and then just your knowledge surrounding uh boots and kenetrek uh, i know i learned a ton i'm going to change some of my um my feet care and uh boot lacing and things of that nature but yeah thanks a bunch for being on the podcast i really enjoyed it jim oh you're very welcome anytime mm -hmm. thanks, thanks jim yeah you bet all right guys that's a wrap uh, really fun recording with Jim Widgham. Um, that guy is an adventure and, and a great storyteller. I uh, really enjoyed sitting down with him. And it it's fun to see the friendship that the Eastmans have built with him over the years. And, um, yeah, I'd, I didn't need to say too much. You pretty much just get Jim started and, and then listen to his stories. And um, he's he's got great timing, too. There's a lot of laughs in that podcast. Um, but, yeah, just, just really fun back and forth. I love those lighthearted podcasts. And it's... You know, it's fun to see people's personalities come out, like like Guy and Ike Eastman as well. You know, they they they've been the owners of Eastmans here for years, and um, they've been involved. But it it's fun to get this glimpse into their personalities too, into this long form communication or conversation. Like you get to hear who they really are, you know. And and they're both Ike and Guy are both hilarious guys, and and have such a passion for Western hunting and so much knowledge, and so. Um, it's just really fun to get them on the podcast and, and record one and, and cut up a little bit. So I sure enjoyed it, and um, I want to thank Jim again for being on the podcast. It's fun to kind of tell the stories of these guys behind the companies. Um, so a great recording. Uh, I want to thank Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. Um, Yeti's just a great company again. They've got their thermoses and their cups and you know, they keep stuff hot and cold for as long as you need it. And, and then their coolers have just changed the way I, I hunt. Um, just able to keep ice longer. I'm able to, to keep out longer. I'm able to cool down game if I get it and um, keep it in that cooler. And then, you know, having it be a bear-proof container, um, it, it's, it's such a savior when you're camping in national forests where it's required to have bear-proof containers for black bears and for grizzly bears. Throw a lock on that bad boy and you're good to go. You know, you're not going to get a ticket or you're not going to get a bear that breaks into all your food. So, um, great products. Want to thank Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. And, um, with that, gosh, um, 
Yeah, over there at Eastman's. Gosh, we just did the podcast tour. We're really excited to keep recording and releasing these podcasts. I got some great ones coming up and um, just getting excited. I've got uh, a few saved up so I can go on these hunts. I got a really busy August planned and busy September and October and November too, for that matter. It's going to be a great season. I can't wait. Um, I'm just really going to go for it and uh my training's been going great. I just, uh, no injuries. I think I've been running the last nine days in a row, you know, all of six to eight miles per day or more. I've been getting in some good tens and twelves too. a bunch of elevation. I just feel really strong. So, um, I'm excited shooting, shooting at a whole nother level. Uh, yeah, I just been, been diligent and disciplined and, and shooting at least once a day, sometimes twice a day and good quality arrows. And, um, you know, I fine tuned with my, my setup and, um, mess with that, you know, a little bit earlier in the year. So yeah, I am feeling great. I just can't wait. I am, I'm going to walk around and, um, I'm really gonna to hold out for some, some, some big next level critters. Um, I'm, and I'm also another part of it is that I'm really going to enjoy the experiences. I'm just going to embrace it and enjoy it. And like these, these mule deer tags that I have, you know, I, I know I can harvest a mule deer. Like I want to, I want to push that level. I want to harvest a next level mule deer. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to have a tag in my pocket and I'm going to have days to hunt and I'm going to cover country like a madman. And I'm, I'm going to pass on bucks here and there. And, and when I find the one that I want, that's, that's going to make me extremely happy. You know, that's the one that I'm going to put a stock on and put a play on, but, um, just extremely confident coming into hunting season. And, and, uh, I'm just ready to, to immerse myself in the, in the mountains for some adventures and, and share some good times with buddies. And I also have some good solo hunts coming up this year. Um, I'm excited about that. You know, lately I've been filming hunts or I plan them with buddies and I, I really enjoy sharing hunts with buddies, but I also enjoy those solo hunts. So to have a couple big ones planned where I'm going to be by myself for 10 days traveling the mountains with my bow, uh, I'm just thrilled. Um, I can't wait for the challenge and, and, uh, yeah, I just, um, I'm super excited. I know you guys are too. I know you guys got some good tags and some good hunts coming up. So keep working hard towards your goals. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to record another solo episode. Um, I'm going to do one on just the final preparations of season kind of talk about the hunts I have and game plans going in and, um, just pertinent information for this time of year. So, uh, excited to sit down and record that one. I'm going to do that here this week and, uh, record, uh, release this podcast here today or tomorrow. Uh, I got another one to release this week and then, um, that solo one will come right after that. So, um, really excited. Just going to try to put out some really good content to you guys and, um, prepare you guys for hunting season and, uh, man, just keep working hard towards your goals. We're, we're less than a month away. And once you, well, at least I'm less than a month away. Some people might be a little bit further out, but right now is the time to work hard and to peak. I mean, once you get into season, you know, you, you, you don't have the opportunity to get yourself in better shape. I mean, you get to, you get to hike and, and which puts you in better mountain shape, but man, the, the preparation to come into season fully prepared to come into season shooting lights out, um, just gives you a lot of confidence walking around the mountains and the time to work hard and improve and be ready for season is absolutely right now. So, um, keep working hard towards your goals. You guys I'll uh, check in with you here later this week.